Hi, you're listening to Go See a Show, New York City's independent theater podcast. The entertainment world has at long last been grappling with problems of abuse by powerful people. But when that abuse is commonly known as an open secret, how do we deal with the people who witnessed, enabled, or even benefited from it? Who was and is complicit? Eden Theatre Company's new production, Complicity, wrestles with this difficult question. And I spoke with the show's playwright and director after a recent performance. I'll let them introduce themselves. Take a listen. Uh, I love to start with everyone's name on the mic. Let me know who you are and what you did on Complicity. Diane Davis, playwright. Lana Stein, director. And the show is running at the New Ohio. And who? It, well, when we have the playwright, we're going to force the playwright to do this. We're going to make you exercise your elevator pitch muscles. When you tell people, I have this play, Complicity, come see it. What do you tell them? What's your what's your quick line about what the play is? It is a play about women holding women accountable for their actions against women. And they just happen to be in Hollywood, but it's not necessarily about Hollywood. It's about the relationships of women in response to sexual assault. So as one could tell from that, some very heavy material and some very difficult material to deal with, and but uh, material that the world has been uh, dif- in a very difficult way, but thankfully actually been dealing with in some way for the past five years in the wake of the Me Too movement. I mean, as you mentioned, Hollywood, there is a uh, character who is uh, never seen on stage, but uh, obviously very reminiscent of Harvey Weinstein. And that, I'm sure explains to anyone paying attention to the zeitgeist why one would create a piece like this obviously it's a difficult stuff that we have to deal with but Diane for you why this particular piece why this way in because I feel like the easy way to do this is to say here is the bad man and everyone let's condemn the bad man and but instead we get a very nuanced and difficult and, and I say that in a positive way, a difficult piece about everyone around the bad man. Yeah. So can you talk to me a little? I'm, I'm just kind of yeah. spouting off words at this point. Tell so me where, I think where you come from. It's kind of important to know that the play is a history. It, it, it's not a, pre, a play about the present condition. It starts in Jan, basically December 2018. And this is when he's arrested. So... At the time of the arrest, a lot of stuff happened, and everyone was jockeying for their position. And um, his producer, his his top female producer, which would have been probably a top studio head at one point, ends up killing herself. Um, he is this onslaught of women, but. Everyone's addressing the big man on the mountain, but no one's addressing the people that set them up. Now, a lot of it got mentioned, but then it just went away. So you're saying this, and forgive my ignorance, I'm not one up on Hollywood stuff. That part's true? The the, uh, the studio head? No, who, it's not a studio suicide? head. It or, was a woman that was very high up. I had no producer. idea that someone committed suicide. Yeah. Oh my God, that's yeah. I I thought this was a creative reimagining of. No. The, oh my God, that makes this even yeah. more horrific. And and Lily is fashioned after Sherry Lansing, who at thirty five became this top 
studio head of 20th Century Fox for production. You know, uh, not the chairman of the board, right. but for production. So it's not odd that this young Spitfire white girl would be up there because this is also well before the Black Lives Matter movement. And so when you looked at the upper echelons of things that were happening, you didn't see a lot of women. And in fact, I don't think there were really any at the major uh, studio heads at that time. So I felt like that was a story, but more it's so... obviously new to idiots like me. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. So more so, it's also a story about how the actresses, some were able to deal with it, some weren't. But what about the smaller ones that no one heard about, right? We heard a lot about A-listers. And so Teague is not an A-lister. You know, she's a B-lister. Um, she's talented. She had this incredible future laid before her. Yes, she got this early Golden Globe, which is definitely a fabrication, um, a kind of bookend. But it's this idea that how do they deal with it? So we take the leap of 12 years. I didn't want to do the play about how a woman gets assaulted and rises up to deal with it. We let that already happen. Those plays have already... are. are those are other people's plays, not this play. This is, what do you do? Um, you know, how do you come back and make a career out of it, um, and sort of live in the status quo of it? And so I wanted to tell that story. And uh, helping to tell it, we have the fabulous director Ilana Stein. Uh, how'd you get pulled into this project? So Diane and I are in the League of Professional Theater Women together. We first got to know each other being on a programming committee because when you're programming something for other people you get to figure out how each other work and um, then we just went from there. I think it's kind of fabulous in a, in a very good way that uh, your professional association through a group for women led to your collaboration on an artistic piece about collaboration among women um, and it's a very difficult piece as I said I don't know I'm, I, I wish I were more articulate but I don't know how else to say it it's dealing with some incredibly nuanced material that I guess like again it's it's so easy I think to just say like this person bad this person good and that's not no one seems to be like bad or good here we're we're constantly shifting like who is responsible for each bad thing that's going on um talk to me a little bit about like directing that it's uh it's not a hero and villain piece Yes, I think it's about bringing the heart and the humanity to the story. I had a good friend that came recently who said the play should be called um, Complexity. Yes. Because there are so many layers to this. And Tig has this great line that she's like, but what about the agents or the limousine drivers or the cab drivers or all the people who enabled this to happen? And I just think this story kind of sheds light. As, as Diane said, it's not the A-listers, it's the other people in the background that might not have... A platform to share their story so I found that part really interesting I think what I really drew me to Diane's script was the, the dialogue and how you know how the sisters finish each other's sentences and also just how fast-moving and this whirlwind of a play that she's created that you just have to grab on from the very beginning um, and and just also um, yeah like we're not left with like you're left with empathy for these characters but there's a moment to kind of 
point the finger at each of them. And I tried to highlight in the production of like, had they done this, the story would have gone this way. I think there's a lot of that. And what I, what I, I think is also very successful in Diane's play is it leaves us with a lot of questions. It doesn't necessarily answer them, but it puts it in the zeitgeist. And I hope people go away from the theater still talking about this play and this really important conversation that we should be having. No spoilers, but it does literally leave you with questions. Uh, so one line, you, you mentioned this great line about what about all these people. And uh, the line for me that got to that idea that was also spoken in the play is this line of um, power is an illusion. And it's something that I, uh, I hope I don't go off on too much of a rant here, but it's something I've always been dealing with when I look at how awful some people can be in positions of power. It, at the end of the day, you just want to say, like, who said this is okay? Who's letting you do this? And you have to remember at a certain point that those are the, there are people who are doing it. There are people who are allowing this to happen. And it feels like if we're going to make any sort of real structural change, we need to address that weird emergence of yes men and yes women and yes people under quote unquote powerful people who essentially just allow them to have this illusion of being the best or being the smartest person in the room or being whatever. Um, am, am I crazy? No. Right? Yeah, so yeah. so I, I, that's part of what I loved about this piece was like, hey, hey look, you're, yeah. you're all kind of doing that. We're all kind of doing the thing. How do we break that cycle? Yeah, and it's not an easy thing to answer. Exactly. I mean, we're all bystanders, and we have to admit first that we're bystanders and no one's going to say well I wasn't you know it's like the I didn't I'm not involved I wasn't there therefore I'm not responsible um, but also in you know a lot of there I think the critics have noted there's no Weinstein why do we need Weinstein in our play we don't he already did the bad we know the damage he does do he's we, not in the play he's not in the play for a reason because this is not his play you could go see David Mamet if you want to see that play. <laughs> but that is not this play. This is the play of women trying to wrestle out their roles in allowing the deconstruction of rights. And in essence, the way that assault is perpetuated, slut-shaming, all of that stuff that continues on, we'd like to think it's gone. Like, I think the idealist is going to say, well, we've come so far. And I, I, I'm an old-school feminist, right? You know, and I remember being young going, you know, not enough happened. And the older women would go, we've come a long way. And yes, we've come a long way, but we still don't have parity. See Gina Davis's um, work in her organization for um, clocking the statistics on parity. Like those things haven't, those needles haven't moved. And when I was writing this play, those needles had not moved. And so, yeah, a lot's happened in the last two years since I finished writing this play. But that doesn't discount that we have to remember that this existed and can be repeated, just as we're seeing history being repeated in today with um, rights and rights disintegration. Yeah, I mean, the play drops us off in, it's a, in 2018, but it's a span of 2008 2000, to 2018, which we learned so much in that time. But think about what we've learned from 2018 to 2022. And yet here we are seeing what's happening about women's rights in Iran. Constance Wu just talked about a producer that assaulted her, and she wanted to bury that and realized she had to bring up that story so that it wouldn't happen to other women. So... It is interesting, that question, how far we have moved 
the needle. I'll cut this next part if it's not something you want me to include, but I, I was really interested when you said that, um, you know, uh, I guess I guess people who are more optimistic would look at this and say, but, 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 are you getting any sort of pushback from yeah. people yeah. on this piece saying like, but why, why would you do this? Um, one of the big pushbacks is that there's no, um, no one's responsible, you know, and they're saying, well, we've got Ghislaine. Okay, great. You got one woman. How many women are there setting up other women? Um, it's not just one woman. It's not just one man. It's a system. And I think that's the thing that students of history fail to remember, that a system perpetuates systematic racism, systematic sexism, systematic biases that are built inherently in. And if you're going to change the nature of man and woman, well, I don't think that's going to be with one guy going in. To, to jail. I think part of my prep for this and living in this world, I was um, listening to the audio tape of, I believe it's called Hollywood Endings, and it was looking at the Weinstein trials and taking apart, or I guess listing all the accounts of the women um, that accused Harvey. And a lot of them signed NDAs, and they were given these like make-believe titles of like studio heads or president of this, and, and stuff that I didn't even know until I worked on Diane's play. And power as an illusion is very true, because for a second, just like Lily on stage, she gets to sit in that seat and feel that power. And at the same time, to feel that power, who do you have to crush along the way? So. They knew how to silence the women by giving them the power, and that still didn't break the system. And they're still doing it. Let's talk about some of the things that have happened on Broadway. Well, I'm not going to talk oh, about God. them, but they have happened on yeah. Broadway. They're still happening. NDAs are illegal in New York State, but they are still forcing NDAs on women, saying, we're not going to even negotiate anything with you unless you sign. And so it's a coercion. So they're going to get around the system. And if you think that it's not that, I think then you're complicit because you've made a choice to be ignorant. We could keep going into these really and just keep talking about this really fascinating stuff. And I, I kind of want to. But uh, I also try to keep the podcast to like 15 minutes or so. <laughs> and this could be, you know, like a three hour symposium yeah. in which we will never solve anything. No. But um, thank you for getting into the deep, difficult stuff with me. I'd like to get into some of the deep, difficult stuff of the theater and of actually executing uh, a piece like this because you're dealing with issues of sexual assault and intimacy and um, not on any sort of there's I don't believe you would need to give anyone a trigger warning to see the play but there are intimate moments that happen on stage and, and some darker intimate moments that happen on stage uh, did you work with an intimacy coordinator and talk to me a little bit about that process because it does feel somewhat a little new to the theater world it shouldn't be but um, I think some people are still coming around on this idea talk to me about using somebody for that role in your work and how important it was even though you know there's no extreme acts of violence on stage to worry about. Yeah, um, so our intimacy fight and movement director was Lexi Orfanos. Um, Lexi and I have worked together three times now, and when we were putting together our team, I turned to Diane and Byron, one of our producers, and said, this is who needs to be on this team. Um, she's excellent with how she deals with process, how she makes actors feel comfortable moving on stage. And I think the very first thing is a conversation to give them agency over what they do. And 
not only did I need her to help choreograph some beautiful moments in the movement, I wanted her to have these early on conversations with actors to make them feel comfortable and a safe space to take on these really difficult roles because now they have 16 performances that they have to live it. That is a beautiful way to say it. Thank you for bringing, like I'm, I like to talk about the role of an intimacy coordinator because I will say that, um, you know, as a cis white dude um, working in the theater, there have been times where I'm, I, I'm like, I don't know how to have the proper language to make it set, to, to feel like I'm taking care of this per actor on stage even though we need to, because of the demands of the piece, get at this one thing. How do I do this safely? And I, you know, always, you know, my, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, do Not twiddle my hands, uh, rack my hands. What's the word? Wringing my hands. That's what I was looking for. I'm wringing my hands with, in nervousness over this. And then I finally worked with somebody who knew what they were doing. I was like, oh, this is so simple, but yeah. so effective and so important. You know what I learned recently, besides taking care of the women, it's also the cisgender men, because I've talked to a lot who have been in a lot of Me Too plays, and they just feel terrible at the end of the night, taking on how these horrible people push people around with power and, you know, just having to be the villain, quote-unquote. And that just was interesting to me, just a little eye-opening, that it's, it's a journey for everybody who's in these plays. If you are someone who is sensitive to these things at all, then yeah, I mean, I, just taking on that role of aggressor can be trying, for sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like I talked a lot in this particular mm-hmm. episode, and that's not usually how I like to do this, but I feel like I'm trying to process this piece, uh, so I'm, I'm talking with the creators. So apologies if I spoke too much, no. but you're making me want to, like, that's good. deal with this. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts? before I turn off the mic? You know, this, for me, as a woman who is older and part of a system where this has been, was a part of many women that I know from the moment they started school. Like, that was a common element for everyday women. And so for women to discount this story based on the theatricality of it diminishes the messaging of what we're trying to do and the importance of independent theater and just what the heck it takes to make independent theater happen. Yeah, I mean, I get this question a lot of like, how is it to make theater post-pandemic? And the truth is we're, we're just not out of the pandemic yet. It's still challenging to put up theater. And I think we're just so grateful for the audiences are coming out and experiencing this play. It's one to experience in the theater for yourself. And everyone has their different people that they relate to where there's parts in the story that they fill in the blank themselves. And I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed talking to people after and kind of hearing their version of the story or what happens to Tig after and that kind of thing. So hopefully after listening to this, it makes you want to continue the conversation and just come join us at the theater. Well, as I said, you, you kind of forced me into uh, blabbering on and on, babbling on and on about uh, my interactions with your piece. So, um, thank you for asking the difficult questions. And uh, for thank you for having yeah. us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this has been awesome. 
Thank you, Diane and Ilana, for hanging out after the show to chat. You can catch Eden Theatre Company's production of Complicity at The New Ohio, 154 Christopher Street in Manhattan through October 15th, 2022. Head to Eden that's theater with an E-R, dot O-R-G for a link to tickets and more information. Thanks to you for listening into the podcast. If you dig it, please like it on Facebook, facebook.com slash go see a show. Follow at go see a show on Twitter and rate and or comment on the show's Apple Podcasts page. My name is Robert A.K. Gagno. You can find me on the internet at Robert Gagno, G-O-N-Y-O dot com. Until next time, go see a show. Out in the yeah. open on the beautiful it. streets of the West Village. On a beautiful warm evening in fall.